Welcome to The Investigation. I'm John Santucci, Senior Editorial Producer here at ABC News and your podcast co-host. I'm joined by Terry Moran, Senior National Correspondent, and Catherine Falders, Capitol Hill and White House Reporter. We were supposed to have a busy week in Washington coming into another round of depositions, but that did not happen after the White House won a battle blocking several key allies of President Trump from going up to comply with a congressional request for their closed-door deposition. So, Catherine, what do we know right now? Because these four individuals that were supposed to start what's already going to be another busy week up on Capitol Hill, they would have been quite significant to the Democrats' investigation into President Trump. Yeah, and that's exactly how Chairman Schiff described it when he spoke to reporters uh, following uh, finding out that they wouldn't show up. I I think... John Eisenberg. He's one of the White House lawyers. He's very significant here because, as we've reported, he's one of those who was actually responsible for moving the transcript and the notes from the president's call with the president of Ukraine uh, to that secret uh, classified server. The others were uh, OMB, Office of Management and Budget Officials, who would have a direct window into uh, what happened with that aid being held up uh, to Ukraine, Schiff and other Democratic members describe these people as key witnesses. But I think important to note here, and when we asked Chairman Schiff about this, he said that the White House blocking these people, directing them not to come, isn't going to hold up their work. They're still moving ahead, and it could potentially lead to uh, an article of impeachment uh, that is obstructing uh, their investigation, their impeachment investigation. Now, the one other person that would have, in theory, booked Mark the end of this week is former National Security Advisor John Bolton. He obviously would be fascinating uh, in this investigation if he was to comply. The president was asked about that just in the South Lawn the other day ago. It's up to him and up to the lawyers. It's really, it's really up to the lawyers. I like John Bolton. I always got along with him. But that's going to be up to the lawyers. Why don't you said no quid pro quo? Okay, Terry Moran, we've obviously read the transcript, but speaking about John Bolton, though, here, um, he obviously would be a hallmark witness, in part because, you know, maybe things have simmered now, but the way he departed the White House uh, just two months ago didn't seem like he was exactly going to stay on Team Trump, perhaps. Uh, no one leaves this White House, it seems, on, on good terms, on, on perfect terms. Uh, but Donald Trump has a way, as you well know, John, of keeping people in his orbit, right? He calls them and he keeps in touch with them. But you're right. John Bolton would be the star witness of this entire inquiry, partly because of his role, the president's national security advisor. He had 360 degree vision on all of these issues and partly from what's already come out about him, that he said he knew something in his view, it seems, was wrong, stunk about what was going on with Rudy Giuliani in Ukraine. He said he didn't want any part of what he described, according to one witness, as a drug deal that was going down. He said that what Giuliani is going to do is doing is going to, quote, blow up in everybody's face. So we know that he was not on board that this was appropriate. And so he would be the star witness. Yeah, I mean, he even called uh, Rudy Giuliani a hand grenade at one point when people were talking about how to deal with him inside the West Wing. But Terry, interesting here also, and and the other hat you wear for us, obviously, you you cover the courts for ABC News. um, And you saw a case actually get heard 
um, in federal court at the end of last week involving Bolton's former deputy, Dr. Charles Kupperman. Uh, and in that suit, Terry, Kupperman's attorney, uh, Chuck Cooper, argued that his client's between a rock and a hard place here because he, in one hand, the White House is telling him do not comply with these requests and subpoenas from Capitol Hill. But on the other hand, he does have a subpoena from Capitol Hill. And Cooper said in court, Kupperman finds himself in a catch-22. What does he do here? And this is an argument we've actually never really seen play out before the courts before. Not to this degree. The closer you get to the president in an inquiry, a congressional inquiry or criminal inquiry, well, the stronger the president's claim of privilege is. The president does need a, a circle of advisors upon whom he can trust and uh, can rely that they aren't going to be you know, hailed before courts or congressional committees so that the executive can function as efficiently and effectively as possible. But there's alleged wrongdoing here. So uh, what the what the lawyers for Bolton and Mr. Kupperman are arguing is we need the courts to referee this. We need the courts to tell us which is stronger, which is the harder hard place. The Rock of the White House saying the president is is claiming you cannot testify or the or the the rock of the of the subpoena, which is a, a con- command from Congress that every American is obliged to follow. And Catherine, what are we hearing right now from the White House? Because as we were just saying with Terry, obviously, Bolton's relationship with the president did not end on the best of terms. However, Bolton has not come out and said anything critical of the president at this point in time. Is the White House concerned about a potential John Bolton testimony? I mean, I think that they would be, yes. I think, as Terry noted, that he, he is the star witness. And, and at least from sources that I've spoken to inside the White House, they are a, a bit concerned of John Bolton talking to congressional investigators, given the knowledge uh, that he has and the relationship he has with the president. And, and I and I think, as we've reported, Bolton and his attorneys, they have been in talks with the committee, as you said, that his attorney, Chuck Cooper, said they're in a bit of a catch-22 here. But but look, I mean, the letter that Cooper uh, wrote to the courts, kind of wanting them to expedite this process in a way, I wouldn't be surprised if, if John Bolton uh, were to uh, testify, whether it be private or, or publicly in this matter. And I, and I do think the White House would be concerned about him. And Terry, one of the things we're, we're watching for is that we've now started to see the release of transcripts from these closed-door depositions. Um, one of the arguments that is being made by the White House for why they don't want these individuals to comply is that White House counsel or White House representatives, rather, um, are not even allowed in these closed-door depositions. And that's obviously been a question uh, that historians have been trying to figure out of what was the difference between this impeachment proceeding and the most recent one in American history, obviously the Bill Clinton. The, the crucial issue here is, is, for the American people, is does it seem fair? And I, I think what people looking at it assume is that the Republicans on Capitol Hill will carry the White House's water. If there are questions or points that uh, the White House wants raised with these witnesses, you know, there's 47 Republicans who can be in those hearings. And sooner sooner rather than later, these hearings will be public. The whole country will be able to make up their mind. And anything that, that comes up that might be to the president's advantage or there might be a question that could be advantageous to the president, believe me, it will get asked. And I think the other argument that we're seeing that the White House is now making as it relates to White House lawyer John Eisenberg, which is a similar 
argument uh, that the White House made during the Mueller investigation when the Judiciary Committee was calling witnesses is uh, today, at least from a a letter from Eisenberg's attorney, uh, they said that the president directed him not to appear because he's immune uh, from congressional testimony because he's a close advisor to the president. Terry, you probably weigh it on the immunity argument a little bit more, but I think that's also something we'll start to see more from the White House as they call these people who are in that close circle or who the White House thinks is in that close circle of advisors. It's another one of those issues that hasn't been tested to this extent in court. One of the things that impeachment does is really bring to the fore uh, legal questions that have been that have been just lived with unanswered. I remember during President Clinton's impeachment, they subpoenaed Secret Service, members of the Secret Service detail. And the question was, well, do you really want to subject them to testimony? Uh, Because then the president might want to get away from them and it will risk the lives of future presidents. And the answer was yes. So we kind of uh, had that question unanswered. The president might have been safer. But because of the nature of impeachment, you had to answer it. And this claim that the White House makes, that the Trump White House makes, that close advisors to the president are immune, cannot be called to testify before Congress. It's been raised by other presidents, never tested. If the House moves ahead to vote on articles of impeachment, sort of like, uh, maybe this doesn't matter, but we'll keep an eye on that. The other thing that was interesting from the weekend, gang, um, of course, the whistleblower. We haven't spoken about the whistleblower in quite some time. What's happening with that individual? Well, we learned over the weekend that an offer was made by the whistleblower's lawyers to House Republicans that this individual would answer written questions under penalty of perjury from members of the GOP. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy was asked about this offer on CBS Sunday. If Republicans submit their own questions directly, are you open to that? Because it would bypass Adam Schiff. Now, let me be very clear, Margaret. What I'm open to, when you're talking about the removal of the President of the United States, undoing democracy, undoing what the American public had voted for, I think that individual should come before the committee. He could come down to the basement, but he needs to answer the questions. We need an openness that people understand this. Remember what you're asking. You're going to change the course, the very fabric of democracy today, based upon someone wrote a written question of somebody that wasn't even on the phone call, that had hearsay, even though we all know what the transcript said. So that was obviously Kevin McCarthy speaking on CBS Sunday. So that's the question, gang. Does the whistleblower's testimony matter at this point? We've seen so many uh, State Department officials, um, other White House officials that are career officials, not political appointees, obviously, that have gone up and complied with these requests by Congress to speak to them. Um, Does it matter right now what the whistleblower has done? They've waved the flag. At this point, people are responding to it. Terry? I I think that's a a great point. What's come into evidence through these other depositions and the transcript itself bolsters most of what the whistleblower was alleging. And by federal law, the whistleblower's anonymity is protected. That said, what Kevin McCarthy, what we just heard Kevin McCarthy say, is a political matter. If we're going to overturn an election, he's saying, we ought to know about the people who started it. And for those who support the other side in these in our divided political times, imagine if there had been an impeachment effort against President Obama during Benghazi. You'd kind of want to know who the cast of characters were. Uh, and I think as a matter of fair play, uh, and that, that's one of the things the whistleblower was trying to do. Look, I can't answer questions. I'm not afraid of you. But his safety, his or her safety might be endangered. So there are cross currents here. But what Kevin McCarthy said, this is the overturning of a Democratic election. 
you kind of want to do it with 100 percent confidence. And I also think what you're seeing from Republicans, too, is a little bit of a a shift in strategy where they actually now really want to focus on the whistleblower. Hmm. And, And Republicans that I've spoken to behind the scenes realize that some of the depositions, some of the testimony uh, so far that's gone further than what we know about the whistleblower's account has actually been damning, is not good for Republicans, is not good for the president. So by focusing on the whistleblower, which, you know, perhaps the the testimony or written answers uh, which this person has offered to give, uh, perhaps it it does matter. McCarthy and other Republicans are saying it's hearsay, it's secondhand. But keep in mind that that whistleblower did speak to multiple White House officials with firsthand knowledge of the account. So uh, perhaps uh, the testimony should happen. They will answer written questions. But Republicans, at least that uh, I've spoken to this week, just really want to focus on the whistleblower, not so much the substance of what's coming out of those depositions. We'll have to see. And lastly, before we wrap up this conversation, Terry, we did have an interesting headline uh, come outside of the impeachment bubble. And that brings us back to the Empire State, where President Trump lost an appeal um, going into the circuit courts. This related to uh, the case involving the president versus the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. They are seeking eight years of records, tax returns of the president's. The DA's office obviously won on uh, the grounds of the first case. The president's team appealed that to the circuit court. They've now lost that. But now, Terry, what's interesting in this all to me, the president's uh, chief legal counsel, Jay Sekulow, says they're now going to take this to the Supreme Court. A lot of firsts here. A lot of firsts. And it looks to me, having read this opinion, like they're going to lose up there. And because of Bill Clinton. Uh, One of the things that this opinion at the appeals court level said again and again was, well, look at the Bill Clinton case. The court, the Supreme Court in that case said a president can be subject to civil process. And in this case, the appeals court said the district attorney in Manhattan is engaged in a bona fide criminal investigation involving several people. And all that is being asked for is a subpoena to a third party, the president's accountants, for uh, the president's tax returns. That is not a burden on the presidency, the appeals court said, citing again and again the Bill Clinton case where the Supreme Court said, well, he can be sued. He, you know, he can provide evidence in a, in, a, in a civil suit. And if that isn't too burdensome on the president, if the president must answer to that, certainly the president can't block a third party from just turning over evidence with an ordinary grand jury subpoena. Uh, at issue that it's going to be a weak argument for the Supreme Court. And to think Donald Trump uh, just last week uh, renounced his uh, citizenship to New York. He's now moving down to Florida. Sounds like New York is still going to continue to haunt them. Terry Moran and Catherine Falders, thank you very much. Coming up, my co-host Chris Flasto and I speak with two Ukrainian journalists who have risked their lives to cover the rise of democracy, the fight against corruption, all within their home country of Ukraine. One was even held hostage after reporting on the front line the other reporting on corruption. Years ago, she began digging into a natural gas company that hired the son of an American vice president. You might know who that is. We also get their take on the July 25th phone call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky and what shocked them the most. Stay with us.
Welcome back to The Investigation. I'm John Santucci, Senior Editorial Producer here at ABC. Along with me, my co-host, Chris Velasto, who runs our investigative unit here at ABC News. And it's a great honor today to be joined by Anna Babinets and Nastia Stanko. Both are journalists in Ukraine. Anna's reporting focuses on big crime and government corruption. Nastia reporting on conflict from the front lines. And they're here in the United States to be honored by the International Women's Media Foundation. Starting off, Anna, tell us why you're here and what you're receiving this award for. This is for courage in journalism. It's by International Women's Media Foundation. And this is we, we, we suspect that this is because we are brave. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. But actually, we don't, know, we don't know why, but uh, here and we actually, are. Actually, what, what is very important to mention is that uh, we received calls about this award before all this Ukrainian-American scandal. Yeah. So it was it was in May. So I think it was in the first day of uh, President uh, term of uh, Zelensky, even <laughs> because it was like 30 of May, as, as I remember. It yeah. Well, but let me ask you about that. When Start. the story broke and you're going to be coming to America yeah. and you're going to be getting this award in the middle of an international scandal that puts Ukraine in the minds of every American in this country, I mean, which could lead to the impeachment of a president. Actually, when it started in Ukraine, first uh, many American journalists came, journalists came and they asked about help, about fixing, about uh, helping with interview people. When that started five weeks ago, I didn't know how long it will be. I still suspect that it will be for months. But uh, when the news started I didn't think about what will be in the US and closer and closer I realized that yes it will be a lot of talking and everyone will ask about Ukraine and what's it's going on now the story begins with Hunter Biden did you know about Hunter Biden back then when his father was uh, vice president of the United States working in Ukraine yes um, actually, uh, my investigative agency, Slitstvo Info, it's based in Kiev. Uh, we investigated the gas market in Ukraine seven years ago. It was the year when Burisma, this energy company, established. Uh, so we were investigating how the owner of Burisma got access to all this gas mining. And then about four years ago, uh, when Burisma, uh, like... Be, uh, growing and uh, we figure out that many uh, important famous people are on the board of Burisma like Hunter Biden, Alexander Kwasniewski maybe you know as a former president of Poland. Uh, we tried to figure out why these th- th- people are there and I even emailed Hunter Biden I found his email and uh, Alexander Kwasniewski three or four years ago about that what do you do in the board but they never replied so we knew that and we saw that that these people are on the board of this uh, company but of course we didn't know that it can be so big scandal like we have now and did you report on it at the time i i remember that i posted it on my facebook because i didn't get answers replies from these guys uh yes i think that some media reported about this you can find it on my facebook i just post pictures with Hunter Biden, with Alexander Kwasniewski, and I just uh, posted and asked what's going on. This famous guy there on the board of Burisma. It was, I think, three years ago. So you, were you suspicious 
or were you? Of course. You, yes. Now, of course, I'm investigative journalist. I'm always <laughs> suspicious. Yeah, but it, but it's harder to do reporting there, though, right? Is that a risky thing for you to do? I mean, when we started seven years ago, it was Yanukovych era. Uh, it's one of our previous president, Viktor Yanukovych. He ran away to Russia from Ukraine in the end of revolution. Uh, and in that times, when Yanukovych was president, when Burisma was established, yes, it was more risky. Uh, you could be like pressed and uh, some people from presidential administration told us, stop doing this, don't work on it. Now it's, of course, easier, but not at all. And obviously, speaking about this award, Nastia, you were actually held hostage doing your job as a journalist, right? Uh, it was for three days. I was in the basement uh, in so-called Luhansk People's Republic uh, in 2014. But, you know, uh, from 2014 till now, like, um, near 80 journalists were kidnapped in Luhansk, so-called Luhansk People's Republic or Donetsk People's Republic. And it's, it's, it was not only Ukrainian journalists, but also in foreign journalists, even American. We're obviously learning more about President Zelensky, I guess, in the same way um, that you both are in your country. I mean, he's obviously uh, new in office. He's had um, uh, a very interesting, uh, for lack of a better word, relationship with President Trump and uh, and the United States government over the last uh, couple months. Just in your reporting, how would you compare President Zelensky um, to his predecessor, Poroshenko? For many Ukrainian journalists, it was absolutely a surprise. Maybe Anna uh, can say something else. Uh, but for many Ukrainian journalists, it was absolutely surprised. Like one year ago, for example, I was here in US. I received another award from CPJ, Committee for Protect Journalists. And many also like journalists and Ukrainians who live here asked me who will be the president. Uh, and uh, many of us thought that it will be Poroshenko again because... We can't even figure out that it can be some guy from the comedian show, TV show, <laughs> you know, who just played the role of the president in this TV show. You can actually you can see it on Netflix. Uh, American uh, audience can also watch it. It's called Servant of the People. You know, well, and I mean the same thing. Donald yeah, Trump was a TV right. star, and he's yeah, the president. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and uh, we we were absolutely surprised. And even till I don't know, maybe till three months before the election, um, many of journalists said that it couldn't happen. And and how do you feel? You know, he's uh, to your point, obviously, like our president uh, has no experience in politics. Right? Had been in media, had been in television. How has he acclimated to office? Because here in the United States, Donald Trump is obviously um, very different, to say the least. He's not like any president um, we've ever had. He's not very traditional. How, how is President Zelensky running the government in Ukraine right now? Uh, we can say the same, maybe. But, uh, you know, Trump uh, like have... Uh, has uh, sorry some uh, some understanding of what w w how it looks like uh, a U.S. politics, but you know Zelensky is absolutely new guy, and many uh, people who are near him they are also from this uh, company, Quartal Devanosto Pyat, Quartal Ninety Five. Like this is uh, TV like TV company which produce many video and shows and movies. And uh, they're absolutely new, 
and we only in this like we try to figure out who they are and what they are doing. For example, this guy who uh, Mr. Yermak, uh, who now responsible for connection between uh, Putin and Trump, mm. he was also the producer, and that's all. And now he is responsible for such uh, important things for Ukraine. And yeah, it's strange and we are worried about it. So. To add about Zelensky, yes, because it was hard for me to accept that he is Ukrainian president for a couple months. Uh, I was trying to to get it that, okay, Zelensky is our president, we should live with it. This is how democracy works in the world. We just should work as journalists and respect him. So and but there is very big problem between Zelensky and uh, journalists in Ukraine because Zelensky and his team they try to ignore journalists. You, I, I think that you know this Trump style. So I think Zelensky uh, is copying this Trump style, which is very popular around the world. He tries to show that uh, he can work he can be good president without journalists i mean it's a very very big mistake he is on the beginning and i hope he will get it and democracy works with journalists with presidents with everyone you know as far as the tactics of zelensky I mean, is he doing similar to what donald trump is doing is he vilifying the media uh, calling you uh, fake news and some of the terms that we see our president use yes actually i would i want to add about fake news because five days before election Uh, when uh, when Zelensky won, uh, we published, uh, we found, my agency's leads to info, we, we found secret villa, uh, so like big house in Italy, which owned by Zelensky. He never declared it, but he had to do this. We published it, and then his team started to say it's fake news, it's fake villa. They blocked our page uh, on Facebook. And then after Zelensky became president, he declared that, that villa. So one month before it was fake news, when he became president, it was like real news, and now he is real owner of this villa. Let me ask you, you brought up Rudy Giuliani, and he has now become the central figure in this scandal. Had his name, the way Hunter Biden's name came up, had you heard about Rudy Giuliani doing work in Ukraine before this scandal broke? Uh, yes, actually, uh, in Slitstvo Info, in, and when, when we were investigating a lot of cases before, we found his name because uh, Giuliani was kind of advisor of uh, Kharkiv mayor, uh, Gennady Kerns, its city on the east of Ukraine, uh, and it's pretty big city, and he's and mayor of the city, like, pretty famous figure in the Ukraine in Ukraine and uh, Giuliani was kind of advisor he came there and also when we were investigating Fuchs uh, this is a guy from Russia who came to Ukraine and he has some connections in United States too and we figure out that Giuliani he knew Kernes and so sometimes Giuliani appeared in our stories but of course not like Like so big, like it's. This but but time. but so when the story broke then, and you saw Rudy Giuliani say you need to investigate these things, or, or to be able to say you're going to investigate these things in order to get a phone conversation with the president, was that shocking to you, or was is that just the way business is done? I think it was not shocking, but you know, it's Ukraine. In Ukraine, I think anything is shocking. Because there are a lot of corruption around Ukraine. There are a lot of big crimes. And we are, as investigative journalists, we are ready for everything. And especially we 
suspected a lot of things around new President Zelensky and we knew and we got that new president, of course, people from Ukraine, from other countries will try to make some connections with him, will try to make some influence on him. So I can say that I, I was shocked. Yes, I was more shocked uh, when I was reading uh, the call this uh, call between Zelensky and Trump. And of course, I was focusing as Ukrainian journalist on what Zelensky said on that call. And I was more shocked than when I figured out that uh, Giuliani is part of the story. But what shocked you the most out of that call? Uh, the most, of course, our internal things. Maybe you even didn't notice when Ukrainian President Zelensky said uh, that very soon he will have his own general prosecutor who will be controlled totally by him. So, you know, that it's not how it should work uh, because the president and the general prosecutor are two independent person. President can't control totally uh, general prosecutor. So it was, for me, it was, of course, red red flag because it means that Everything is the same how it was in this previous president when president tries to control general prosecutors, which means that we will not get uh, real investigations against big politicians, top, cor- top corrupted pe- uh, people. What shocked me in this conversation between Trump and Zelensky, and I think that many also journalists and like people were shocked uh, who were d- dipl- diplomats also, about uh, Maria Ivanovich, of course, because he like repeat after Trump that uh, she is a bad person, and uh, it, it's our like for, former ambassador uh, to Ukraine, and also about Germany and France that they uh, don't help enough. And you know, I am focused on uh, wars, war uh, between Russia and Ukraine, and. Uh, we need also uh, this support from France and Germany. And now Zelensky tried to uh, prepare this meeting between him, uh, Putin, uh, Merkel and Macron. This is like Normandy format, we call it. And this is um, just one way to find some peace uh, solution. And Zelensky, uh, when he came um, as a president, he said that he will try to finish the war for one year. And now he tried to do this, and we have like uh, even pro- protest in even today in Ukraine because he wants to find some peaceful so- peace solution, and not uh, all Ukrainians understand this and accept this. You know how important is the military aid that was going to be withheld for Ukraine? How important is that to you, the, your country's stability? Um, I, I will say that very important. Because, you know, uh, nobody believes Putin. Uh, even if we have some peace, peace agreements uh, and uh, there, 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 there will not uh, hot spots in the east part of Ukraine. And uh, even now, nobody believes in this. And I think that even uh, like Prestaiko, Minister of Foreign Affairs, or even Zelensky, Maybe they don't believe in this, but they will. They try to do something, you know. And uh, on the other hand, if we ha- we will have this military aid from U.S., we will have this like protection and feel that okay, if everything will go wrong, 
we we have this protection. And for audience, for people in Ukraine, it's also very important that we have this partner, very big partner, you know, because many people understand that, yeah, this is like can be only one partner, uh, like big partner uh, for Ukraine against Russia, because we understand that Putin will also find some solution how to how to uh, like say Germany and France to be on like his uh, his side, you know. What you're saying though is that Zelensky really had no choice. He he had to do what the conditions were for that call because he needed that military aid. Of course. So he had no choice. Maybe it can be other words, you know, like mm-hmm. about general prosecutor. Uh, about France and Germany, maybe he uh, couldn't repeat everything uh, after Trump. Uh, it was like a shame for me personally, not as a journalist, but maybe as a citizen. But but yes, I and think that maybe you... on uh, uh, I don't know has another opinion. But I I think that yeah, we have like no choice. Maybe if it will be Poroshenko, it it will be it would be another words. But but. Yeah, the same. Like and we, when, we have no choice. When you see the relationship of Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin, what what's your perception of that? What's your impression of that? I mean, people in America sometimes say he's co-opted by the Russian president, uh, Donald Trump. What's your impression of that? Both of you. Okay, I'm. I will say as investigative journalist, yes, because when uh, Trump became president, of course, for us, were very important to figure out who is this person. And uh, as American journalists, we were like American journalists. We were looking and we found some connections uh, with Russia, Trump and Russia. I mean, business, this Trump Tower, all the things. Yes, so we understand that Trump had some connections with Russia, and it still can be, yes. So I can say that I see that they are like big friends or something, but uh, Trump and Putin, yes. But I suspect that they can be partners in some cases, and it will be not for Ukrainian interests. So I re- I'm really afraid this with your with American previous presidents, I didn't have this feeling. Yes, now I can say that I afraid that in one moment Trump and Putin will make some agreement and it will be maybe even against Ukraine. So yes, I have this fear. I think that Trump uh, always uh, thinks as a businessman, not uh, as a politician. And you know, I think that Ukraine is not interested for him. Interesting for him, like Russia is bigger and uh, more interest uh, than uh, Ukraine. And that's why, and what I'm worried about, that people who can say something to him, like who know Ukraine, know the situation in Ukraine for many years, they are not near him till now, you know. They, like, for example, uh, Bill Taylor, yeah, uh, who is now ambassador and who um, uh, was in the Congress, Uh, he was very clear about what happened in Ukraine and what is important for Ukraine and what uh, U.S. should know about what's happened in Ukraine. But I don't think that Trump is interested uh, in this case, you know. I think it's it's like uh, just business and nothing personal, I think. 
like this. Well, before we let you go, you know, obviously, as we mentioned, you're, you're here for um, for this award that you're receiving, um, and congratulations to both of you. As, as you've been talking about, we've been asking you, the, the, this story between both of our nations um, is not going away. <laughs> there, 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 there's a new headline coming okay. out uh, every second. So I guess for the two of you, you know, we, we, we sit around and we think about what's the story at this moment? What angle are we missing? When you two look at this story and look how it keeps growing and growing and growing, from your perspective, looking through the lens of Ukraine, what do you think is the angle that's most interesting to the both of you right now? Actually, my angle is corruption. So we always work. We're always looking for small details for every uh, everything which looks like corruption. So if we see corruption, for example, why I mentioned <clears throat> why I mentioned this call between uh, Trump and Zelensky and when he said when Zelensky said that general prosecutor will be controlled by him at all, uh, it means that we are in corruption again. So every time when I'm looking at story, this story, other stories, I'm looking for corruption because corruption is like second war for Ukraine. We have real war with Russia and we have second internal war. It's corruption. Corruption can't let Ukraine to develop in the right way. Corruption can't let Ukraine to be a real European country. But actually, I'm very happy to be here as women journalists for uh, International Women Media Foundations. I want to mention this too. And uh, I think that Nastya will add, but we almost never get awards in Ukraine. Because in some point, in some understanding, we are kind of enemies of Ukraine. And it's very great to be in the United States getting receiving this award. And... For these days, we are really happy and we are feeling that we do something important for Ukraine. People from United States, journalists are interested in our opinion. We can talk about it in Ukraine. Every opinion, everything we tell, it's like a lot of hate speech around this. So I'm feeling really good uh, free journalists here. So thank you, uh, International Women's Media Foundation and you. So that. That I feel like real journalist and good journalist. Well, I wanna, I wanna also thank to International Women's Media Foundation. You know, I, I always said this is my second award in the US, uh, um, and I always say this, this is not about me, and maybe this is not only about Anna, about all the in, uh, investigative journalists in Ukraine, because it's hard to be investigative journalist uh, in Ukraine. It's also hard to be journalists who cover the war. Uh, in eastern part because you know when you wanted to cover it honestly tell all the truth it it always you know not all the people accept this because sometimes people want to hear that only our guys are good guys and enemy are bad guys or some zombies i don't know who and you know sometimes but war is disgusting things i think that you know this you know all the wars disgusting and nothing good uh, you you don't have nothing good at war and this is not the popular opinion in journalist community and that's why if for example i receive this award people like journalists who cover the same things they understand that this is okay, that this is normal, that uh, they are not crazy, that are not weird, that are not uh, some like, I don't know, stupid people or hands of Kremlin who help Russia in their propaganda and uh, all these things. For me, what is important also, if we are talking about the scandal between Trump and Zelensky, uh, what is important that, you know, 
um, like vice uh, former Vice President Biden and Yovanovitch, they helped a lot uh, independent journalists in Ukraine. For example, we uh, we need and Anna's agency need uh, like financial support also from foreign countries because we live in in such country, you know, which mostly me- like mostly media are owned by oligarchs, and we don't want to work in this media, of course, and we should find some solution how to just survive and uh, do what we do. And um, that's why, uh, like, for example, when someone uh, pressure us, uh, as it was uh, with my reports, with Anna reports, U.S. can say that we, like, support these journalists, we support independent journalists, and, um, like, officials understood that they shouldn't uh, just do something with with journalists, you know, like open some in- investigative fa- fake investigative cases against journalists or something like this. And now we don't know what will be with this situation because yeah, Zelensky is a new guy, but uh, for example, oligarch Kolomoisky is very close to him, and he has uh, his own interest in the media. Also, he has channel, and we don't know if, for example. Uh, something will do with journalists will 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 um, be with journalists if U.S. can say something and if uh, new government and you like officials in the president administration will listen to this because you know they can say also you are also corrupted uh, what why we should listen to you you know and this is like I am worried about these things uh, I am worried about because we don't know what, what will happen with our like new government and new president, because he's a new guy for us also. Well, listen, I want to thank both of you, and I want to congratulate you myself for your award. And I understand more than most that you put your lives at risk every day to be a journalist. Here, you know, in America, we're, we're a little bit lucky. Donald Trump may insult us and belittle us, but uh, uh, in Ukraine, you are putting your lives at risk, and I know how hard that must be. So I congratulate you both as well. Thank you. Thank you. And that is it for another episode of The Investigation. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a comment and a rating. Thank you to our producers, Trevor Hastings, Caitlin Fulmer, Emily Rachowski. And be sure to listen again next week for another episode of The Investigation.